The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Did you know that relaxation is all in your mind? That's right. By applying various techniques of mindfulness, you can practice relaxation anywhere and anytime, whether it's at home, work, or at play. Welcome to Come Back to Your Senses Radio with host Leah Brenda Smith. Our program is all about recovering your common sense. If you'd like to call into our program today, use our toll-free number, 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send an email, the address is leah at comebacktoyoursenses.com. Now, here's health and wellness specialist, Leah Brenda Smith. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Leah Brenda Smith, and... Thanks for tuning in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio on Voice America Variety and Project Freedom Radio Network. If you are looking for me on the Internet, you can find me at my website at leahbrendasmith.com or on the radio show Facebook page, which is Come Back to Your Senses Radio, or my personal Facebook page, which is Leah Brenda Smith. And welcome to today's show on addiction and addictive personality. Again, we're always uh, trying to tackle these big subjects here in hopes of being able to shed a little bit of light on and give some tips and some suggestions. And uh, there are times when I share a lot more of my own personal story and personal experiences with the topics. And um, uh, in that way, I find it uh, kind of can... um, uh, maybe make it a little easier to really relate to it and see it from a more personal point of view. Sometimes we look at things from a more logical or linear professional standpoint or a theoretical standpoint, and and it doesn't always hit home or really touch us in the places that maybe we're looking to be touched or moved uh, inside. But, you know, I found that, uh, you know, a little education can go a long way in helping people that are that are suffering from addictions or addictive personality and, and can really help them to find a new way of life. So just as we begin to get into the topic, let's define addiction as any behavior that you continue to engage in that brings negative consequences into your life. Now, more commonly, the behaviors are really thought of in relation to drugs and alcohol, food, and sex, and money. And it's good, too, to set that foundation to recognize that, you know, nobody is immune. You know, addiction affects everyone. People of all ages, races, classes, professions. And in some circles, people are still influenced by that old notion, you know, that a, an addict is a person that's hooked on some kind of a drug or, or even is that, that image of the person that's a falling down drunk. 
but certainly, you know, fortunately, there's a an ever-increasing awareness of the problem of addiction and even addictive personality. And this ongoing increase in awareness, it really, it helps to make it easier. And therefore, I find that people are, generally speaking, people are more comfortable uh, to to really, they can relate to the idea of having an addictive personality, and maybe that makes it easier for people to to seek out help. You know, we often um, think of an addict as those extreme examples of people that are having such a hard time managing or are obviously not coping well or are really their life is slowly crumbling or falling apart or even sometimes quickly falling apart because of their um, participation in, in addictions and unhealthy behaviors. But I think, generally speaking, there are a lot more people that would be classified as very high-functioning, if you like, addicts that that maybe there is no indication and people that even are close to them may not know that they're really living inside of that cycle and the cycles and the effects of, of addictions or addictive personality. You know, in 2006, Robin Williams checked himself into rehab for alcohol addiction help. And, and then after being sober for over 20 years... You know, Williams, he had suffered from addiction during the time when he was doing that popular uh, show in the 80s, the Mork and Mindy show. And it was the death of his close friend, John Belushi, that caused him really to, to really seek out help. And at that time, he quit cold turkey. And then... In his own words, he described his gradual, if you like, descent back into using alcohol by saying that it's addiction and it's not caused by anything. It's just there. He says that it waits. It lays in wait for the time when you think, it's fine, now I'm okay. And then the next thing you know, it's not okay. And I know that many people have had that experience of letting go of addiction and then it resurfacing and people commonly refer to that as relapsing and some people do that over and over and over again. You know, Craig and Nathan, he's the author of the book, The Addictive Personality, Understanding the Addictive Process and Compulsive Behavior. And, And he explains that He explains the addictive cycle, this process of continually seeking relief from uncomfortable feelings. The idea of nurturing uh, yourself through avoidance or finding unnatural ways of taking care of your emotional needs. And he clarifies, he says, the addict seeks serenity through a person or a place or a thing. And Nakin says that addiction is a process. It's a process of buying into false and empty promises. So that false promise of relief, the false promise of emotional security, or a false sense of fulfillment, even a sense of intimacy, a false sense of intimacy with the world. 
And like any other major illness, addiction is an experience. It changes people in permanent ways. And that's why it can be so helpful for people that are in recovery to attend 12-step or other self-help meetings or approaches. Because if you are an addict or you have an addictive personality, that addictive logic, if you like, it remains deep inside of yourself. And it's always looking, if you like, for an opportunity to reassert itself or to restart the program. You know, in the same way or in a different way or in a different form. And Nakin really identified the cycle of addiction as being made up of four steps. So you have that experience of pain. And then, if you like, rather than feeling the pain, you have that need, you feel the need to act out. So that's step number two. And then the third part of the cycle would be actually acting out and feeling better. And then the fourth part of the cycle is the pain that comes from acting out. So in this way that he has presented the cycle of addiction in four steps, notice that the, both the first step and the last step have to do with being in pain. You know, clearly with some addictions, there is a physiological component that further slants reality. You know, some people believe that once you quit your drug of choice, that you are safe from the physiological drama within that emotional center of the brain, that limbic part of the brain. But that high, that hypomania or the mania produces that same illusion you know, of serenity is when you reach that perfect state when you're in an active addiction. So, just to recall again that addiction is any behavior that you continue to do, even though it brings negative consequences into your life. And it, you know, for some people, the best way to enable them to identify potential problem areas or tendencies would be to examine your habits, examine your compulsions, your dependency needs, your obsessions, your cravings, or your infatuations. All of these would lead you to some type of addictive behavior or way that you're acting out in an addictive way. You know, sooner or later in life, we're all faced with the issue of addiction and addictive personality, either in ourselves or a family member, could be a friend or a co-worker, or someone that's connected to you through some degree of separation. And, you know, this subject can be a really difficult one to broach because unlike other diseases, there's a lot of stigma attached to addiction. And there are also many addicts that never identify. They never seek treatment. They never realize the negative effects that their behavior is having or has had on themselves, on their family, or the other people in their lives. Now, I'm certainly not an authority on the subject. But also, I'm not a stranger to the subject. I am an addict. 
and I have an addictive personality. And my own life experiences, my healing journey, the love from my family and friends, the support from professionals, the fellowship that I experienced from NA meetings, my own meditation and prayer practice, and my commitment really to free myself. All of these things have played an important role in my experience of living without drugs and alcohol and cigarettes. You know, and as an addict and a person with an addictive personality, I recognize that there's certainly great cause and reason to celebrate my successes. Yet I also recognize that there's no graduation for an addict. You don't graduate from being an addict. You know, there's always ongoing maintenance. And I've learned that I need to be mindful of what it is that's driving my behavior in my relationship with food, with money, with drugs, with alcohol, cigarettes, with my interactions with other people, and really the list that can go on. But addiction, it really, it's been one of the vast classrooms of my life. And it's been an incredible education. You know, to understand that it's not about the excessive use of food or drugs or alcohol or cigarettes or money or television or cleaning or taking care of other people or suffering or whatever it is. You know, it's actually a mechanism is what I learned. There's a mechanism, an internal mechanism, and I I came to understand that addiction's not really about what I was running towards or reaching out for or reaching out to for relief. But the most important piece of the puzzle was the information about what I was running away from. And always that's the most important piece for people is to identify what's driving my behavior. Why am I driven to do these things in excess? What's underneath that? You know, it was really a grand revelation, if you like, to realize that addiction is about my relationship with myself. And the substances, the activities, or the behaviors were an attempt at running away from the thoughts and the feelings about myself. And that some of the thoughts and the feelings were based, certainly based on reality, and some of the thoughts and feelings were based on things that I imagined to be true but we're not true at all. You know, and I can recall from some experiences that I, ha- that I had as a young girl that, uh, if you like, um, starting up that propensity towards being a food addict because of finding comfort in eating food or just eating, or just eating, not my breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but just in eating. And as I grew up, so to speak, and matured, became a teenager, you know, at the age of 15 was when I started to be involved with uh, pot smoking and cigarettes and alcohol. And at first, I guess like most people, you know, just doing it recreationally or socially on the, on the weekends, you know. And 
then um, by the time I was 18 and uh, my mother uh, was killed in a car accident, that's when I really started, if you like, that idea of using the experience of smoking pot and, and drinking, uh, mostly smoking pot, as, as a way of numbing myself or as a way of trying to cope with that incredible uh, sense of loss and grief. You know, it's, it's a common notion to think of active addiction as a way of taking a time out, right? Taking a time out from what might, one might consider their problems or their unpleasant thoughts. You know, the painful feelings, the uncomfortable body sensations. You know, the experience of numbing oneself from reality. And using substances and behaviors as a way of coping with what may seem to be the uncopable, the unmanageable, or the things that are just too painful to deal with. And for me, walking away from drugs, alcohol, and cigarettes was was a done deal once I was done. And I certainly went through several cycles with all three of those things of, of letting go and then uh, relapsing, as they say, and going back to it and letting go of it and coming back to it and letting go of it and coming back to it until I found that I uh, was able to maintain my uh, balance and, and care for myself in a way that, that I didn't cycle back into it again. And I've had, you know, I don't know. Uh, Certainly, um, uh, my own experiences of going round and round with it and then the experiences of coming to a place of, of feeling complete with it and being so grateful to no longer have drugs and alcohol and cigarettes as part of an act of addiction in my life. So I've had um, eight years without cigarettes and six years without drugs and alcohol. And then, you know, food, well, that's another issue altogether, right? So, you know, we need to eat every day. And there's, there's no walking away once and for all, like with the drugs and alcohol and cigarettes. And walking away from food is something that I need to do, you know, several times a day. And after going on a program last year and losing 90 pounds, I've become profoundly aware of the need to be mindful of my own internal environment. It's taught me even more and deeper layers of what it is to be an addict and to have an addictive personality. Now, I need to remain acutely aware of the things that trigger my eating addiction. You know, essentially it can be anything or what seems like nothing at all. And, you know, I'm going to talk about this a little more and I'm, I'm doing this just... Uh, well, one as a way of sharing my personal experience, which is often very helpful for other people when people share their personal experience, but also um, just to think of it as one example, I could be talking about any addiction. I happen to be talking in this context about a, an addiction um, behavior as it's acted out through through excessive eating. You know, so I was saying that I, I became really aware of the the um, things that can trigger that addiction and that it could be anything or could seem like nothing at all, really an unpleasant thought, a critical judgment about myself or another person. It could be an unresolved issue with a friend, uh, 
fear of taking the next step in a new direction, being bored, feeling unworthy in some way, feeling embarrassed. You know, it could be anything. And it could be something as simple as um, interpreting someone else's behavior, something that someone does or says, or something that someone doesn't do or doesn't say that I think that they should that can start a distortion at a mental level that can trigger emotions and, and get you going down a wrong track, if you like. You know, I recognize that although I have lost the extra weight that I was carrying around, that it's the things that weigh heavy on my mind and my emotions that can trigger the behavior. So I've realized that certain foods trigger my appetite and that if I cannot eat these foods in moderation, then I'm better off staying away from them completely. Access is a huge issue when it comes to addictions and addictive behavior, and sometimes the best defense really is a good offense. So if there's something or some activity that triggers your addiction, then the best defense could be to stay away from it and to look look to the thoughts and the feelings that are going on inside of you that are driving you towards the substance or towards the activity. So another signpost for me that my addiction had been triggered was when I noticed that my mind was wandering to thoughts about food. So that is still true. Uh, That's a really good indication for me that I need to pay attention. When my mind is wandering and starting to think about and obsessing about food, you know, I need to be vigilant. So when I'm preoccupied with thoughts of food, then I know that something's going on with me. You know, underneath the surface, if I just look and then take the time to stop and ask myself what's going on and then deal with whatever it is. And then another potent realization for me is about knowing when to stop eating. You know, in in, uh, the 12-step programs, they say that um, one is too many and a thousand is never enough for an addict. One is too many and a thousand is never enough. And, you know, it's important to know when to stop. And that's part of the problem, if you like, with addiction and addictive personality is not being able to stop. So it's not just about moderation, I discovered. But for myself, I found that what was helpful was if I stop eating before I feel full. And that this is especially critical for me at supper, at the supper meal, right? For myself and other people commonly report this as well, that the most challenging time for overeating is in the evening between supper and bedtime. So generally, I've noticed that when I stop eating before I'm full, then my body actually registers that I've eaten, and my body's satisfied. But if I take a second helping or continue to eat and actually feel the sensation of being full, that somehow this seems to override the signals to my brain. And then I could, seems like I could just continue to eat into the evening until bedtime without ever feeling satisfied. So that's one is too many and a thousand is never enough idea. That's the knowing that the addictive behavior is up and running. So that was a big, big, it's a huge piece of the puzzle for me. So when I cook my evening meal, I make just enough protein and vegetables for one meal. 
that I can feel satisfied but not full. And then there's no second helping and there's no leftovers. And then I also noticed that eating slowly and consciously chewing each mouthful, it put me directly into the experience of eating. And it gives my body the right messages about having eaten. You know, you could think of it as being sad but true that as adults we need to go back to the basics, really, if you like the ABCs of healthy eating. Yet, you know, fortunately, and I'm grateful that we can go back to the basics at any age and and get what it is that we need so that we can be healthy in the way that we behave, in the way we feed ourselves, in the way that we care for ourselves. You know, um, there is this idea as well um, that I heard from Tommy Rosen that does work with... Um, with uh, recovering from addictions and and he talks about four aggravations to watch out for that can create if you like that beeline directly to your preferred addictive behavior so there's the addictions themselves and then there's the aggravations and these would be negative thinking self-doubt resentment and procrastination. So if you're an addict or you have an addictive personality, that it's important to be mindful of these triggers. As any one of these, any one of these experiences could be a signal to you that you may be on the brink of engaging in some behaviors that you know are not right for you or that you don't you no longer want to engage in. And it can be really challenging. I've experienced that day after day, going through life knowing that you're not living up to your potential. That's that, that kind of feeling that can just kind of chip away at you inside. And often the thoughts go in circles, you know, telling you that if, if only you could get past this hurdle, then you would be able to live up to your potential. And it became very clear to me that using drugs and alcohol and cigarettes was getting in the way. You know, clearly I would never be able to live an authentic life as long as I continue to use these substances to numb my feelings. And I came to realize that these were very, very ineffective choices for self-care. Yet... I also came to realize that things like meditation and being active, engaging in hobbies, socializing with loved ones, being out in nature, taking time to pamper myself, whether it's through a massage or taking extra time to soak in a tub, learning new things, being engaged with things, doing things in the community, really anything that would bring you a feeling of of being connected to your authentic self. Anything that connects you with genuine feelings of joy and contentment. Anything that brings you the experience of being present in your life and able to really engage in the things around you. You know, just to be present and engage in the healthy activities of daily living. This kind of engagement can bring you back to a place of peace or a place of stillness. And from that place, if you like, of relaxation, 
then you're more able to deal with life on life's terms and not feel the need to reach out to or reach out for something to numb yourself or to hide or to hide from the pain. You know, the pain or fear or shame, guilt or grief or whatever it is that you feel if you like locked up inside with that's driving your behaviors. You know, whenever we go in an extreme direction, in one extreme direction, the body naturally wants to swing back in the other direction. And you'll notice that that you're on a good path of balance when your thoughts around the issues have changed. And you know you're headed in a good direction. You know, at times people wonder about their behavior or the behavior of a loved one and question, is it an addiction or is it just a bad habit? You know, and and there are guidelines, if you like, that have been laid out that can answer this somewhat difficult question of are you an addict or are you addicted? Remember, an addiction, generally speaking, is a compulsive need, a compulsive need for and use of a habit-forming substance could be drugs, nicotine, alcohol. And it's characterized by tolerance and by well-defined physiological symptoms upon withdrawal. And generally speaking, it's seen as a persistent compulsive use of a substance known by the user to be harmful. So if we just keep it simple, you know, a person can become addicted to any substance or any behavior that causes or limits freedom. And from that point of view, really, the list can be endless. But in general, an addiction is something either with a physiological or psychological dependency to something that you're unable to stop despite the negative consequences. And, you know, according to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, substance use is considered abusive or addictive if the person has experienced three or more of the following signs during a 12-month period. I'm just going to go through those and and maybe you'll be able to identify if if this is an area of your life that you should be paying a little bit more attention to because you're you're either on a road or headed down the road of something that could be a um a potential real problem for you in your life. So tolerance is evident when either a need exists for an increased amount of a substance to achieve intoxication or that numbing effect, that desired effect, or the effects of a substance is diminished with continued use of the same amount of the substance. Next would be withdrawal is evident when either it's characteristic Uncomfortable symptoms occur when you abstain from the particular substance or by taking the same or closely related substance relieves or avoids the withdrawal symptoms. And the third indication would be the substance is used in greater quantities or for longer periods of time than intended. 
Next is the person has a persistent desire to cut down on the use of the substance or the person's efforts to cut down on the use of the substance has failed. And next would be considerable time and effort are spent obtaining or using the substance or recovering from its effects. And next would be important social, employment, and recreational activities are given up, they're given up, or they're reduced because of an intense preoccupation with that substance use. So important social, employment, even family and recreational activities in favor of using the substance. And the next one is that the substance use is continued even though some other persistent physical or psychological problem is likely to have been caused or worsened by the substance. For an example, uh, an ulcer made worse by alcohol consumption or emphysema caused by smoking, yet the person continues to drink or the person continues to smoke. So that's the information um, that is uh, that is put forward, you know, in that diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. But here are some additional ideas, really, to bear in mind. Right, drug abuse can occur with or without tolerance or withdrawal. Tolerance and withdrawal indicate physical dependency. And a key issue in really evaluating addiction is if a person's unable to stop using the harmful substance. So they have that sense of a loss of control. And often people who are addicted to a drug don't have the insight into their inability to stop using the drug. They falsely believe that they could stop if they wanted to. And, you know, this is just commonly called denial. And then really to understand that no single event or criteria is indicative of an addictive disorder, that drug use becomes addiction or drug abuse only after a pattern of behavior that takes place over time. So really analyzing behavior against this type of criteria can be a simple way to find out if in fact either the substance or the behavior is a problem. And I think that generally speaking people would like to think that, <laughs> that people that uh, have a um, addiction or um, an addictive personality that they know that they have that. People would like to think that that's true. But it's not always the case. You know, people are often very unaware of their behavior. We all have unconscious behavior that we do all the time. Some of it is pleasant, some is not so pleasant. <laughs> Sometimes I think that we would be shocked um, if someone actually tracked that or gave us that, um, you know, running commentary back on, on our behavior, if you had somebody videotape you anonymously, so to speak, and you saw the little behaviors that you do that you're totally unconscious of and unaware of. So it's good to recognize that the people that you know that from your point of view 
it's so clear that they may be caught in some kind of cycle of active addiction or clearly have an addictive personality, they may not identify themselves that way at all. And um, <laughs> there's no, uh, there's no um, if you like, uh, merit, if you like, in being right about that. You know, uh, to recover from anything uh, really uh, takes an incredible amount of courage and compassion, if you like, and consistency and persistence. And um, sometimes the best that we can do um, for others that maybe aren't aware of having a difficulty is to hold that space of compassion and um, be a good example yourself. Be unwavering, unwavering in your own experience of addiction and your own ways that you manage your own addictive personality. So generally speaking, part of the problem is that people that have addictive personality have a hard time setting limits when it comes to enjoyable activities. So often when they quit one addiction, then the focus just switches over to another type of addictive behavior. And active addiction is never about, remember, it's never about the alcohol or the food or the money or the sex or the drugs. It's about being driven by the feelings that get you engaging in the behavior, you know, but there are healthy ways, healthy ways to meet the needs that drive addictive behavior. And that really is, that's really what we want to focus on. So here, let me give you some tips then. You know, if you have an addictive personality, here are some behaviors to watch out for and some suggestions for healthy ways to meet the needs that underlie the behaviors, And um, the information I'm going to share with you is paraphrased by, uh, from an article by Elizabeth uh, Hartney. And uh, the, the first one really to watch out for is that comfort eating, right? Comfort eating is a common way that we make ourselves feel better. And this is especially true during times when we're feeling disappointed or stressed, afraid, ashamed, or overwhelmed in some way about something. And it could be anything that your mind latches onto and makes significant. It could be as simple as your interpretation of the way that someone looked at you, which triggered a critical or negative thought or assessment that you have about yourself. But let's be clear that comfort eating is not harmful in moderation. However, it becomes a habit and something, you know, if it's something that you do constantly in order to cope then it can lead to a food addiction or binge eating or obesity or uh, a myriad of health issues that are related to overeating. So instead of overeating, it can be valuable to learn and practice alternate ways to self-soothe or nurture yourself. You know, through activities that refresh and replenish you, like meditation or some kind of movement or taking a relaxing bath, or whatever it is that really returns you to your senses, if you like, your own sense of yourself and your self-worth and your self-esteem. And then another thing to watch for is using alcohol to socialize, right? Socializing is one of the most common reasons that excessive drinkers give 
to explain why they overindulge in alcohol. You know, most people report that a beer or a glass of wine is a quick and easy, effective way, really, to lower inhibitions or to have a kibitz or a few laughs with a few friends. But just as easily, alcohol can become the crutch that people rely on in order to get along with people. You know, a habit like that can develop into a state where you feel either either bored or anxious in situations where everyone is sober and alcohol isn't present. So you want to watch out for that, using alcohol in social situations, how that can escalate. You know, an, an alternate to, uh, to relying on alcohol to connect with others would be to develop the habit of connecting with others through common interests or activities, you know, that you enjoy talking about or participating in. You know, when everyone around you is drinking, practice saying no to alcohol and develop your skills, really. You can develop your skills at hosting a party without your guests getting drunk. And then this idea, really, of of staying hyper-connected is another area to watch out for in terms of behavioral addictions, right? The The ones that that... You know, where we're just staying connected or plugged in all the time. You know, people that you never have your cell phone out of sight or out of reach or you're checking your email constantly or you're always logging on to Facebook and hanging out on the Internet whenever you have a few spare moments. And now, it's true that these activities are seen as normal in our modern world and continue to escalate. But... They can also lead to serious problems with internet addiction. And if you have an addictive personality, then excessive internet use can lead to internet shopping, internet gambling, internet sex, and can lead to even more complex addictions. So you want to watch out for that. You know, especially for the people who easily fall into unhealthy addictive patterns of excess. So it can be very healthy to take a break from, if you like, the information highway. Practice the art of setting reasonable limits for yourself around being, if you like, hyper-connected. You know, so for some people, an internet bedtime could provide that kind of balance that you need to ensure that you have some time for self-care and nurturing yourself in the evening before bed. And then to be mindful of the tendency towards using sex to replace intimacy. You know, there are people that, you know, sex solves all the problems is their thinking or their philosophy. And using sex to replace intimacy may sound like a contradiction in terms, but some people use sex to replace the presence that's required for sharing deep intimacy. So for the most part, we've been raised to believe that sex is the most intimate act between two people. Yet sex addicts report a very different story around the issue. You know, when a person's constantly seeking sexual arousal and gratification, it can really create a wedge between you and your partner. So when you lose yourself in the sensations of the experience, rather than being aware of the feelings and the connection with your partner, then you know that you've wandered away from the experience of sharing and you're replacing sex with intimacy. 
being driven by that instant gratification rather than the lasting fulfillment that comes when you share intimately with another person. And another thing you want to watch out for is that shopping for self-esteem, right? That excessive uh, shopping can cause to, can create a lot of problems. And one of the main reasons that shopaholics give for running up debts is that it boosts the boost that they get when they think of the new clothes or shoes or the new gadget. They think that it's going to change them in some way or make them a better person. But you know, as soon as it's yours, as soon as you acquire it, then the object feels worthless and it may even be stashed in the back of your cupboard and maybe you never use it or get any enjoyment out of it or you return it to the store. You know, that repetitive cycle so that you can return it to the store so that you can return to the store another day and and get that same proverbial high again, you know, that shopaholic fix. So instead of bolstering your ego with possessions, focus on identifying how you can, how you can build your own feelings of self-esteem. And there's that seeking the excitement through gambling, right? That thrill of the big win that drives the behavior. Yet how often does it really happen? <laughs> they say you're more likely to get hit by a car on the way to the casino than to leave with your money problem solved. And even if you do win, the likelihood that you'll just gamble it away or spend it is really, some would say, depressingly high. You know, so instead of indulging in the fantasy that so many gamblers, they seek excitement, you know, they indulge in that fantasy, you want to seek excitement in something real, you know, a goal that you can accomplish or an activity or an adventure, not the dream that winning big will solve all your problems. Those that have money will be the first to dissolve the myth and set the record straight that having money doesn't exempt you from having problems. And then some folks get caught in this thinking that smoking is uh, is a right, if you like. You know, they tried to quit smoking, but they always failed. And they feel that smoking is something that no one should be able to take away from you. You know, a right, an expression of your individual freedom. But it may surprise you to know that the perception that smoking is right has been carefully planted in your mind by the tobacco companies, by the ads, by the advertising, that subliminal information that you've taken in for decades, you know, that smoking's cool and all that. So in that way, you know, smoking wasn't even your idea. It was an idea that was created by people that wanted to make money from consumers that bought cigarettes. And with all the health education around, we all know. We all know that smoke-free air, you know, that's the right. Not the freedom to pollute the air, but the right for clean air. So, while smoking is thought by some to be the most difficult addiction to quit, there's so much help and support available And underlying this and other addictions is the illusion that smoke keeps you safe from the world, that somehow cigarettes are your friend and that the cloud of smoke around you will protect you from other people or whatever story you've created within your reality that keeps you connected to cigarettes. 
and then using drugs to self-medicate. You've got to watch for this, whether it's over-the-counter drugs, the aspirins, Tylenol, all of that. You know, pain and trauma and difficulty sleeping are really common problems that people often try to treat with drugs. And what makes things worse is that each of the problems has a variety of choices for prescription medications that claim to cure the problem. However, the prescription medications don't cure the problem. In the best case scenario, the medications provide only temporary relief. But unfortunately, if you depend on the medications, in all likelihood, you will just become addicted to the medication. So in the long run, really, it's wiser to seek out the physiological or psychological help that you might need. And as well, if you can accept that the difficulties that you may be having could be cyclical and related to your cycles of stress that come and go, you know, you'll be able to enjoy a much better quality of life by letting go of the idea or the dependency on the medication to cure the pain or the trauma or the erratic sleeping behaviors, the sleeping patterns. So pills do not cure these issues. At best, they just mask the symptoms and only provide temporary relief, and they interrupt your body's natural ability to bring things back into balance, which can often be promoted by receiving psychological or physiological support. And then we want to watch out for this idea that, you know, using marijuana to relax, you know, tension and, and, and anxiety. Now, some people find that a joint can help them to relax at the end of a stressful day, but they maybe don't realize that weed has a rebound effect that increases anxiety after it wears off, or that it can have, it can really seriously interfere with your motivation in life, or that it can trigger serious psychological problems. You know, and the younger that you are, the more at risk you are for negative side effects of regular pot smoking. But older folks also, you know, the idea that pot will help to relax you is overall incorrect. If you become dependent on smoking pot in order to relax, then you run the risk of brainwashing yourself into thinking that you can't relax without it and become dependent on more frequently smoking pot so that you can relax. It's kind of like that initial sugar high, you know, once the pot wears off, you crash and require more pot in order to relax again, which just creates that vicious cycle or dependency on the pot. You know, and then the other, the, the, the last point here in terms of something really to be mindful of if you're an addict or have an addictive personality is that whole idea of believing that quitting is too hard. You know, some people believe that it's too hard and they know they're addicts and they just keep doing the behavior because they think that it's too hard to quit. And you may be one of those people that have bounced from drinking to drugs or from drugs to sex or from sex to overeating, from overeating to over shopping or over shopping to over exercising or whatever it is, over caring or over cleaning or overworking or just over, over, over the top. And some people just feel that, you know, life in moderation is, is too boring or it's too empty or it's too normal. And that's what drives their need for excess. That's what drives the need for drama and trauma and stress, if you like. But if you believe that, 
then you're really the one that's standing in the way of your own ability to enjoy life without the excesses that addiction and addictive personality present you with. You know, because even the most hardened addicts can quit. And many of them discover that later in life after some people, after losing friends or family or jobs. And once they find that recovery is possible, then life opens up again and they can grieve the lost years, if you like. So you don't want to wait to get a handle on your addiction. It's really a myth that you have to hit rock bottom before you can put your addiction behind you. Although for some people that is the cycle and that is the pattern and that is what gets them into recovery. But you may just have a personality that craves, if you like, living large. But it doesn't have to be unhealthy. You know, there's lots of ways to get help. You can talk to your doctor. You can go to a 12-step program. You can seek out addictions counselors or whatever method you're willing to do to try in order to get the help that you need. You can go to an addiction counselor at school. So even though there's no graduation, only maintenance for addicts and people with addictive personality, there is recovery. And even though you may need to always be mindful of your behavior and catch yourself when you begin heading down a path that leads to excess, you can live a life that's free from that driving force of addiction that actually drives you where you actually actively participate again and again. You know, people can learn to live with life on life's terms and, and find your authentic self. You can live the life that you really want to live and start living the life that you really want to live. It is possible. It does take patience. It does take commitment. It does take help and it does take support. For many people, you know, I found myself when I used to go to the NA meetings that there was always a time actually before the meeting started that was the most moving for me. I would sit and, and, and just look around the room and just be there with all the other people that were there, knowing that we were all there for the same reason, and also cognizing that they were people all over the world, in rooms and in meetings all over the world, that were there for the same reason also, because they wanted to live a life free of the effects of addictive behavior and addictive substances. And so... If you are a person that is struggling or suffering with these things that we're talking about today, there's lots of opportunities for help. And just want to point out one uh, experience that Tommy Rosen has put together, a conference um, uh, called Recovery 2, Beyond Addiction. And it's a free online conference that starts uh, September 28th, so in two days. And it goes from September 28th till October 2nd uh, each day. And uh, Tommy says that the elements that go into successful recovery from addiction are leadership, mentors, guides, and teachers. And that's what prompts him to set up these free online conferences. So just Google Tommy Rosen Recovery 2 or Beyond Addiction and, and the information will pop up for you. So there's help 24-7 through 12-step programs, through addiction counselors, Facebook, I found a great thing on Facebook, a Facebook page. It's called In the Rooms. 
And certainly the 12-step program is not the only way that people use to find a way to bring their life back into balance. But for some people, it is the only way. For some people, it is the best way. So whatever it is that you need for yourself, make it your business. Make it a point. Make it a point for yourself. Honor yourself. Honor the addiction. Honor that you have an addictive personality. And find what it is that you need to be free. Find what it is that you need to be able to come back to your senses and live an authentic life for yourself. Now, I've really appreciated the opportunity today to speak with you about addiction and addictive personality and to share some of my personal story as well. And um, I, I welcome you to send me an email if you want to have a more personal conversation about it or looking for some support. So I thank you for tuning in today to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. I am your ever-grateful host, Leah Brenda-Smith. And until next time... Relax and enjoy life. We hope you've enjoyed our program today and perhaps have found some new techniques that you can apply to your daily life. Thank you for tuning in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. Please join Leah Brenda Smith again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you next week.